John chapter 15. All right, John 15, and this will probably, unless the Lord changes it, be our last installment in the Faith and Fruit series. And this is going to obviously discuss the same subject, to put emphasis in a few different places that we haven't talked about yet. John 15, verses 1 to 6, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray about it, and then we'll talk about it. John 15, and verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine... No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Amen to that. Verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. All right, so we're going to take a look at everything we can from this passage dealing with faith and fruit. But before we do that, let's bow our heads and ask God to help us with this passage. Father, we thank you tonight for letting us come to church. What a blessing to sing about how you lead your dear children along. And Lord, we can't wait for that day in eternity's day. After all the waters and floods and fires is done, Lord, to get to see you face to face. Until that time, help us, Lord, to abide in you. Guide us as we go through this passage now and give us truth and give us some things we can apply. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, a couple parts of this is going to be fairly obvious. Uh, We're going to talk about how to get to the fruit bearing, okay? And in this passage, you can see it in verse number two. There is a branch that bears fruit. You see that? There's fruit. Look at the end of verse two, that it may bring forth more fruit. And then look at towards the end of verse five the same bringeth forth much fruit. So you see the progression. Fruit, then more fruit, much fruit. We're trying to build up to that. Just to remind you of what we've already looked at in this brief, short series. There's faith and there's fruit, but there's always something in between. Have you noticed that? It's not faith. You get saved, put your faith in Jesus Christ, believe what He has revealed to you, and then immediately there's fruit. That's not how it works. Do you remember what we looked at in Galatians 5 and 2 Peter chapter 1? It, it just doesn't happen like that. There's, there's some time. There's some things that you have to do. There's diligent addition. We looked at that in 2 Peter 1. You've obtained precious faith. Now diligently add to your faith, then fruit. You have the Holy Spirit by faith, Galatians. Now you must walk in the Spirit, and if you do, then fruit. And the same thing here. There's an element of faith involved, yes. And that, by, by the way, that's how you get put into the vine. Okay, Jesus doesn't go deep into that part of it because he's talking to his disciples. Judas is not even in the room anymore. So he's talking to men that are plugged in. They're already in the vine. Hence verse 1. I'm the vine, my father's the husbandman, every branch in me. So these, he's talking about people that are in him. 
Right? How do you get in Christ? That is faith. It is believing the faith of Jesus Christ, accepting what he has revealed about himself. So that's kind of inferred in the passage. It's not really explained so much. But this brings us to the second part. You got the faith, that plugs you into the vine. But how do we get to fruit? Right? There's a big, a, let's say, responsibility in the middle. And it's in verse number four, abide in me. Now, we're going to talk more about verse two, three. We're going to try to touch on all of it. But we're going to take a while to look at verse four and five. Abide in me and I in you. So that's after you have received Christ by faith, in order to get to the fruit, you must abide in him. So you see it in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Verse 5, he that abideth in me. That's the emphasis. So we have to answer the question then, what does it mean to abide in the vine? To abide, the way this is used here, it means to stick with it. To continue to remain, to deny your flesh daily. There's many things that are going to go with the idea of abiding. The, the word itself gives you the idea that fruit is not going to magically and immediately appear. It's going to take some time. Hence, you have to stick around a while. It's not going to come right after you get saved and now I am everything I'm supposed to be. There's going to have to be some time in there. Uh, take your Bible, look at, well, I'm going to turn you several places. Look at chapter 15, verse 9. I want you to see how the word is used here. 15 and 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. You see his emphasis. Now, he says we have a relationship, stick with it. We're walking together, stick with it. I'm the master, you're the servant, stick with it. Let, let's not forsake that relationship. Verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what is Jesus explaining here? He says, if you want to learn about the relationship that you're supposed to have with me, look at the relationship I have with the Father. How did Jesus walk? while he was in this world. The Father gave commands, Jesus willingly submitted, and when he obeyed, fruit happened. Good things started happening. People's lives were changed, which by the way, that's the fruit that we're trying to get to, is permanent changes in you and in others. That's fruit. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, you have not chosen me. By the way, this has nothing to do with salvation. This has to do with ministry. You have not chosen me but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. So what, what's the end goal here? I want to abide in Christ, stick with it, continue in His Word, walk with Him daily, fellowship, yield to Him, submit to Him. I'm using every word I can to describe that. I want to do that so that He can change me permanently. I don't want to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's how Jesus did it. Jesus did not perform his ministry by being a popular figure amongst the public. He did not yield to public opinion. 
There was only one person that Jesus listened to, and that was the Father. And that's how he was able to bring forth the fruit that he did. And he changed lives. So when you humbly submit to the Father, the changes in you are going to become permanent. If you continue with it, you've got to stick with it. But once you've stuck with it a while and you're different, it's going to start to affect the people around you. And now the, the, the fruit of the righteous becomes a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. That's Proverbs 11 and verse 30. And he that winneth souls is wise. Because God changed me, it's evident that what I have works. So now when I tell you about it, you're much more ready to take it. Because it's obviously made a difference in me. That's the fruit we're trying to get to. But we're only going to get there if we humbly, patiently, day by day, walk with our Savior. Look at chapter 8. John chapter 8. You'll see it again in this passage. John chapter 8. Let's begin reading at verse number 28. John 8, 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing Nothing of myself. What did he say in John 15? Without me, you can do nothing. Do you see the language? Okay. That I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. Praise the Lord. The Father hath not left me alone. Amen. For I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many did what? Believed on him. Now we're right back to the beginning. There's faith. They have accepted what Jesus has revealed and they believe that. Okay? But look at what comes next. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye what? Continue. That's step two. If you continue. Faith is there. Now we need to continue. Remain. Abide. All of those words. He says to those that believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, a lot of people jump straight to verse 32. You've heard that quoted, haven't you? Lost people know this verse. Lost people quote this, have no idea it's even in the Bible. But, but people think, the moment I put faith in Jesus, immediately now I'm set free from all of my sins. You're set free from the penalty of them. But being set free from the power of them so that they no longer have power over you, there you have to get into the continuing stage. Do you see it? Verse 31, 32, you have to continue in His Word. Then you get to that final stage of being a true disciple and you're set free from that old life. And this is why a number of people, they get saved, they think, well, immediately I should just overcome everything. It, it's... It takes a little time to get there. Look at 1 John. Hold John 15. Come to 1 John. I'm trying to give you verses from John because he's the one that wrote the gospel. He's also the one that wrote 1 John. And this way, John is interpreting himself. When he said abide, right? He's writing that down from the lips of Jesus. When he says abide, how does John understand that word? Look at 1 John 2 verse 6. 1 John 2 and verse 6 says, He that saith, 
So here's somebody making a profession. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So here's somebody making the claim, I have fellowship with the Lord. I am continuing with the Lord. That's his claim. Okay, if that's your claim, if you claim to be abiding with Christ, abiding in Him, then that means you should have a walk that matches, as close as you can, the walk that Jesus had while He was here. Now, do you see how this goes perfectly with John 15? Because Jesus said, if you want to learn how to walk or how to continue, look at how I walked with the Father. So, so this is right in line with that. Look at John 15, or... Uh, no, I'm sorry, 1 John 2, verse uh, 10. Verse 10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. There's that word again. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Right? This has to do with loving his brother. So a man that is abiding with Christ, walking with Christ, in fellowship with Christ, what's he, gonna do? he is going to be loving his brother. Now, do you see how that's different than salvation? Salvation is receiving Jesus Christ by faith. Loving your brother is something that happens afterwards. So I want you to see from the Bible what goes with abide in him. Abiding has to do with your walk. It doesn't have to do with you putting faith in Christ to get saved. That's, it's two separate things. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Right, there's one Greek word that is used three times in this verse. And every time they translated it differently. The word abide, the word remain, and the word continue. So it's one word, one Greek word, but gives you three different options in English. So that he just wants to make sure we got it. <laughs> Coming at it from every angle. So what are we learning in verse 24? Those very first basic things that you learned when you got saved and what God has been teaching you up until this very point, let that remain. Abide in that truth. This is the equivalent of John 8, continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. It's not enough to come to church, learn something tonight, and then by next week, you've completely forgotten the lesson of tonight. You're no longer applying it, and now you're just going to move on to next week. You've got to build up. You've got to apply what you learned tonight and continue to apply it as often as necessary, and then God will add something extra next week, and next week, and next service, and next service, and it builds. Look at verse 27, uh, 28, forgive me. Verse 28, and now, little children... Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So the admonition here, abide, continue walking with him. Because you don't want Jesus to show up and you're busy out there living like the world. That would be embarrassing. That would be shameful. So abide in him. Stick with him. Stay close to him. Now, if I can go back just a little bit, do you see at the end of verse 24, it says, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father? Do you see the in the Son and in the Father? Look at chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to appreciate what John's communicating there. First John 1 and verse 3. Here's one of the reasons John wrote this book. 
that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. That's your local church. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when he says, those things that you've learned, let that abide with you. Stick with that truth that you've been hearing this whole time. So that you can continue to fellowship with the Son and with the Father. That's the abiding in the Son and abiding in the Father. Now come back to John, the Gospel of John, and get chapter 14. John chapter 14. In verse number 23, John 14 and verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our what? Our, make our abode with him. What's he saying? I'm going to move in. Now, now, you understand here, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, right? He's in, but, but we're not always aware of His presence, are we? Right? He's in there. You say, how do you know? The Bible tells me so. It has nothing to do with how I feel. No gibberish came out of my mouth. He's in there because God said He's in there, whether you feel it or not. If you accepted Christ genuine from your heart, He's in there. Now, it says here... Uh, look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, now what is this? Jesus is inside, but he, he doesn't always manifest himself to you. If you want to recognize his presence and feel him getting closer, you have to be obedient. You have to continually follow his word. Keep his words. If you do that, verse 23, the Father and the Son will come and make their abode with you. So they move in in a special way. They're already there, but he begins to manifest himself to you. You begin to recognize his presence. There is some outward evidence. You say, what is it? A changed life. A peace and a joy in your heart you haven't felt up until that point. Because what greater joy is it in life than to see the Lord working in you. There's no, there's no better thing than that. Now, now watch the wording carefully. Chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me. That's a command. That's a command. It's an imperative. Abide in me. And then what happens next? And I in you. You stick with me, I'll stick with you. Now, now, what about the verse that says he'll never leave us nor forsake us? Well, see, he, he's never going to move out, but he may not manifest his presence and make his abode with you in that sweet, close, intimate fellowship like he just promised in chapter 14. So he says, if you do your part and stay close to me, then I will manifest my presence. You'll see fruit. I'm going to stick close to you. So how about this in James chapter 4? You guys know this verse. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. Do you see how the, the sequence of events? Abide in me, and I in you. But this isn't, you get saved, I come in, I never leave. That's a separate subject. That's a wonderful truth, but a separate subject. How do you get to see the fruit? 
Well, you keep His Word continually. You wake up tomorrow and you say, Lord, show me something from the Bible that I can do today. Not just read it, but read it with the idea of today, God, show me what needs to leave my life and show me what needs to be added to my life. Look at verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In order for you to bear fruit, you've got to have a lot of the word of God going over you constantly. Cleaning you. Why? Because in verse 2, this man, this branch bears fruit. What does God do to a branch that bears fruit? He purges it. He doesn't prune it. He purges it. That's harsher than a pruning. That's him taking that, that, that uh, vine with these branches and cutting them down to size so that the, the vine doesn't get cluttered with all of your past glories. He doesn't want you to get in your own way, so he cleans you out. Haven't you ever noticed this in your Christian life? Things are going well. Changes are happening. People are get, their lives are being touched. And then all of a sudden, you feel like you go into a deep valley. And it feels like God steps away. And all of a sudden, I was in season, now I'm out of season. God, and you, rightfully so, you think, God, what did I do wrong? You may not have done anything wrong. Maybe you were bearing fruit. And now it's a purging time. So how do I know? Open your Bible, and God will make that clear as you read it. When you come to church, you'll hear something from the Word. The Word will clean you and say, this is why you're in this valley. This is why you're experiencing the things that you are right now. Just hang on a little while. I'm getting you ready for the next harvest. I'm getting you ready for the next big change. Because folks, let's be honest. If God came on a Monday and changed one big thing in you, and on a Tuesday changed another big thing, and a Wednesday another big thing, you'd be overwhelmed and quit. <laughs> we would say, God, I can't keep up. My head is spinning. God knows we need a little bit of time. So he cleanses you with the word, a consistent, faithful application of that. So faith puts you in the vine. And then continuing, abiding. In God's time, he will give the increase. The changes will happen whenever God is ready for them to happen. See, as far as how much fruit you bear, that's up to God. Your job is just to abide in him. That's all you got to do. You don't have to go to Bible school. I'm not against it, but you don't have to. Right? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be full-time in the ministry. You have one thing to do, abide in Him. Dr. Ruckman used to tell us all the time, the most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You keep that right, everything else will flow naturally from that. That goes wrong, that's the source. Without Him, you do nothing. If you're not walking close to Him in sweet fellowship and agreement, don't expect any good fruit. Now, we've got to talk for a moment before I finish with this lesson about the, uh, the dangers of not abiding in Him. What happens if you don't? Well, let, let's first lay this principle. If you're not bearing fruit, and that's something you'd have to give it some time, right? You'd have to take months in order to discern that. Not days, months. If you're not bearing fruit over some months, then I think we can fairly conclude that means you're not walking with the Lord. Right? Because if you abide in Him, you'll bear fruit. That's what He said. 
So if you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to say that maybe you're not saved, but maybe you're not abiding. Okay? Now, if, if somebody is not bearing fruit, what, what happens to them? Verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. All right? So here's one option. And, and to be honest, these two consequences, they could perhaps go together. They, they could overlap, I think. But one thing that God can do is take you home early. If you're not going to bear fruit, God might say, all right, let's give it another chance. Let's dung it, dung it right? Put, let's fertilize it. Remember that in Luke chapter 13? Let's fertilize it. Let's give it another chance. But then eventually another chance turns into your last chance. And God says, that's it. I have given this person every chance that they would need, and they have just done nothing with it. First John chapter 5 says, there is a sin unto death. And when you push it too far, John said, I don't even pray for it. When a man goes that far, he's done. God's going to take him away. Ecclesiastes 7 says, you can die before your time. It wasn't your appointed time. You sped it up because you were doing nothing for the Lord. Now, notice, he's a branch. He's in the vine, but he's not doing anything. He's just cluttering it. So God says, I'm going to get you out of the way because you're a bad testimony. So he takes you home to heaven. And there you sit, fruitless, barren. You'll make it into the kingdom, but no abundant entrance. We've studied that a couple weeks ago. All right, what's one of the other consequences? Now that's, I think, the most drastic, right? Paul said in Romans 8, if you live after the flesh, you'll die, right? So that's one very drastic step, but verse 6, here's another step, another consequence. If, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Now notice, this is not the father taking him away. <clears throat> this guy is going to be cast forth as a branch and he's withered, and then look what happens. Men gather them. If you die, angels gather you. If somebody's being thrown into hell, angels do that. That's in Matthew chapter 13. This is men gathering these branches. So this is a guy not bearing fruit. He's cast forth as a branch, and he, and he shrivels up like a prune. He's got no juice in him. He's, he's dry, like cracker juice. Nothing going on. You know what happens? Men gather these useless Christians together. What do they do? They cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, I'm going to be adamant about this. I don't see how this could be the fires of hell because there's no other verse that tells us somebody gets saved and then gets cast into the fires of hell. But, but let me show you that in the Bible, the fire can refer to some other things that is not hell. Uh, take your Bible, come to Ezekiel chapter 15. Ezekiel chapter 15. And let's just begin reading at verse number 1. For the sake of time, I'm just going to give you a couple more verses and we'll be done. But Do you guys remember reading this in the New Testament about fiery trials? So, so when the world begins to persecute you, they start throwing fiery darts, right? And it can get pretty rough. And um, when a branch 
is not able to bear fruit, it's only good for one thing. It is the fodder for the fire. That's all that it's good for. So you become the focal point for the bad temper of the world. And they look at the, and they look at the useless Christian and they say, this guy represents Christianity. This is what Jesus does for people. Good for nothing. And they start to say all manner of evil about you. But the problem is the evil that they're saying is true. You actually are useless. You actually were a bad testimony. Sometimes the world will lie about you. That's persecution. But sometimes they're just telling the truth about you. And that's an embarrassment. Now, let me give you some scripture on this. Ezekiel 15, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree? Or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Well, that's exactly what we're reading about in John 15. Vines and branches. Verse 3. Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel thereon? No. A vine's not good for that. Verse 4, Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devoureth both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burned. Is it meat for any work? No. Do you see how this could tie into John 15? Because the Christian who's not abiding in Christ is not meat. He's not fit for any work. You can't do anything with him. So verse number Five, behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat yet for any work when the fire hath devoured it and it is burned? It's a good question. It wasn't usable while it was on the vine. Now you threw it out. Now it's extra unusable. Verse 6, therefore thus saith the Lord God, as the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now think Old Testament for a second. Here's God's people in Jerusalem living like all the heathen around them. Bad testimony. What did God do to them? Get out of your country. Go into exile. He's casting them forth as a branch. What happened? Various Gentile groups are going to throw them into all sorts of fires. Look at verse 7. And I will set my face against them. They shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. Well, that can't be the fires of hell. You don't go out of hell number one into hell number two. What is this? Babylon had one fire. What did they do? Persecute the people of God. Evil entreat them. Beat them. Spit at them. Mock them. And then you get... The Persians doing it, then you get the Grecians doing it, then you get the Romans doing it. One fire to the another, to another, to the another, to the another. Interestingly enough, when Peter denied the Lord, he was out there by a fire, warming his hands. Verse 8, I will make the land desolate because they have committed a trespass, saith the Lord God. I, I believe this passage helps us interpret what we read in John chapter 15. When it says men gather them and cast them into a fire, 
you're going to go from one place to the next. And, and, and you try this. If, you've, if you're saved and you try to walk with the Lord for a while, and then you backslide, you will not fit in very well. You'll go from one place to the next, and then they'll find out, oh, you were a Christian? You went to such such church? You used to hand out gospel tracts? You used to go to prayer meeting? Oh, they will not let you live it down. You will become the butt of all their jokes. And it'll just go from one fire to another to another to another. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. But to be what? Cast out. And to be trodden under foot of who? Men. Why? Because they have no respect for you. You have nothing to offer them. Because whatever you had didn't change you. And here you are trying to recommend it to them, saying, hey, everybody should be a Christian. You, you have no right to say that because it didn't, it didn't change you. One last place, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul here is talking about winning souls to Christ. You can see it in verse 22. By all means, he wants to save some. So he's dealing with the ministry in chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Paul says, But I keep under my body and bring it in, into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a what? Castaway. That's John 15, 6. That branch getting cast forth, cast out. Paul says, I don't want to be cast out of the ministry. I want to be usable. I want God to be able to use me and that by all means, God might use me to save somebody. But a person who has no temperance, discipline, that's what you're reading about there, they're not going to bear that kind of fruit. They are cast away. And that's where, that's why rather, we emphasize this abiding in Christ, this daily fellowship. This is why, guys. We, we tell you, pray every day. Read your Bible every day. Don't skip church. Be as faithful as you can to every activity. Stay as busy as you can for the Lord because we're trying to get you to abide, to stay consistent with it. And then you don't have to worry about what the world might think and say and all the condemnation that might come from them. Don't be a useless branch. Just abide in Christ and He'll take care of the rest. All right, that's the end of our lesson for tonight. Now I can come to the prayer request I wanted to give you earlier. Uh, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's going to be part of our prayer request, actually. Philippians 1. I'm going to say these quickly, and then ushers will help us take some up. I have been asking you folks to pray for Pete Dickens, missionary in England. He's been in hospital now 38 days straight. Uh, they had to pull out two of his teeth because the doctors now think that his teeth got so badly infected that the infection went to his brain. But they're not even sure that's the right answer. So they want to keep him for weeks and weeks further to give him more medicine, but he's probably going to pull off a jailbreak and go home anyway. So you guys pray for Brother Dickens. 
Um, got a good report today from Um Jan Lutz. Uh, he visited the oncologist and the oncologist was very happy. I, I think the cancer cell, the count was way down, so praise the Lord for that. Continue to pray for Um Jan, Tani Daphne. Uh, pray for, I don't know, maybe this is something that's going around, but my wife is down sick tonight and, and Garrett's wife, Grace, she's also down sick. It's just kind of like a flu thing, so if you would pray for them. Uh, pray for Bible school. It's going to start this Sunday. Pray that we have a good year. Amen. Not just for this Sunday, but pray for a good year. You might have seen as you drove in, we're renovating the Bible school. If you get a, get a chance, stick your head in that building. Man, does that look different. <laughs> the, the, the middle wall is gone. It's a sight to behold at this point. And then lastly, Venzel and Sulis. You guys continue praying for them. He sent me a message last night. Philippians 1.8. He put this in the message. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And he talked about how he never knew, he never realized how difficult it would be to not be at the prayer meeting, to not have people to sit around and talk about the Bible with and, and pray with and go out witnessing with. He, the loneliness, and this is something we talk about in Bible school. This is something that's very difficult to prepare for, but the loneliness of the mission field has caused many a man to quit. So if you would, he's, he, he realizes the challenge there, but pray for him because you can imagine that would be very lonely. All right, let's take up some other prayer requests. Anybody else have one? There's Barrent here. I think uh, Armand may be over here as well. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're the next one. He'll come to you. Uh, please, please keep praying for me for my neck, for favor by God so that uh, Rand Mutual will make a decision. So must I go for an operation or not? praying for that neck. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I just wanted to thank everybody that was praying for direction in my life. I finally got funded by NSFAS to continue with my studies. And also, please pray 